Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 264 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is March 25th, 2013. We've got a great show for you this week on the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk a little recruiting later on in the show with Gerard Martinez, and we got some team questions to get to in the first segment with Coach Harvey Hyde. As always, if you have any questions for us, we do love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can call us at 206-888-6755, or even go to peristylepodcast.com, which is our podcast webpage, and leave a voicemail right on the left side of the page, right from your computer. But before we go any further, I have to introduce the opening act of the Peristyle Podcast, Coach Harvey Hyde, coming at you from Catalina Island. What's up, Coach? How you doing? Well, I tell you what, uh, happy Easter to everyone out there. Uh, what a beautiful, beautiful day it is here on Monday. And uh, Catalina, the weekend was beautiful. Everyone gets a spring break, so I try to take a spring break, too. I still operate, Ryan, on the on the school system, you know, the ho- holiday systems. I sort of try to take those at the same time. Uh, of course, USC had the week off as far as spring practice, so that didn't mean I took the week off. I still do all my shows and all the things I have to do, but if the weather's good, you got to try to utilize the weather and, and take advantage of it because the busy part of the season is not too far away. Of course, that's football season. We're always active, but, Ryan, I want to thank you and uh, say hello to all of our listeners out there. And it's, There's been a week off of spring ball at USC, so we'll sort of have to pick it up, tape our ankles, and get ready to go again. Yeah, the week off for uh, spring break, so no spring practices between – the last podcast and this podcast, that's why we gave Dan a little break there since there wasn't any practices. The coaches and players are all out on break. Uh, before we jump into the rest of the show and get to your questions, just wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com or give them a call at 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. Baseball season is starting up. If you're a big baseball fan, you want to go see some Dodgers or Angels or any other baseball team across the country. And of course, NBA and NHL, lots of stuff going on with sports across the country, not just here in Southern California. And uh, Coach, it's a weird time for spring break in the middle of spring practice. I don't remember this ever happening except last year. Before we get to these questions, what do you think about the team taking a week off? They had six practices before the break, and then they'll have the remaining nine practices after the break. It worked okay last year, I guess, and Wanted to see what you thought about how uh, Lane Kiffin's structuring that for spring football. Well, you know, you have to look at a lot of things. You have to look at it and say, well, it gives the kids a break. Uh, uh, and uh, it's like a bye week. You come back and you play, uh, pick it up, try to pick it up at the same tempo. Uh, when I used to have spring practice, uh, I didn't like it. I used to try to schedule our spring practice against uh, like four consecutive weeks or five consecutive weeks. We used to be able to have 20 days at that time. We'd go four days a week for five weeks because I like to get into a rhythm. I like to get into a rhythm where you review and you add, you review and you add, and you review and you add. 
so that you get your momentum going and you don't waste any days as far as practice. You, you get your kids in a routine as far as lifting weights and practicing and going to meetings and, and all the things that are necessary to do. When you have a week off in between, and I've learned this by doing it that way, uh, you come back and you have to spend time reviewing again. You have to come back and, you know, you know they didn't work out too much during that period of time. You just have to, have to take a day almost to sweat it out of them and get them back into the routine. They come back rested. But their minds and reviewing all the plays and everything that you did the first two weeks, you have to take a day of review before you add too much. You got to get them back into the rhythm. You got to get them back into the intensity level. You got to get them back from off vacation. So you actually, I think, waste a day or maybe even waste two days before you review, get back up to the level that you were practicing at before you took the spring break, to, before you can get back into new additions, and you don't have as many days. Uh, man, it's amazing. Three weeks left, nine practices left to spring practice before you get back to a fall camp. And I've always said this and maintained this, and maybe you can't do it anymore, but we used to make our football team. If you were going to make our football team, uh, you were going to do it in the spring. We were going to find out who our football players were then. And I've said this, and I said it last week. If someone came in and beat out one of our regulars, after them not having spring practice and all the training that we've done and has to, they have to learn the offense, then so be it. Then we're a better football team. But that kid beat out a kid that shouldn't allow someone to beat him out. So I'm not in favor of it because I learned. Uh, I felt we wasted days in getting back into the rhythm of things. So, you know, you got to do what you have to do, and there's obviously reasons they're doing this. So I can't say that, uh, you know, it's positive or negative because I'm not doing it. But myself, personally, if I did it, I'd try to schedule it. We could go straight five straight weeks or four straight weeks and then have the spring game. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting that even if it wasn't planned this way, I think it's working out pretty well. When you have the, the, the number of injuries that USC kind of suffered late there, you know, especially with Max Wittick, it, it seemed like getting all those guys a week off in the middle of spring ball probably wasn't a bad idea. But it's, there's different philosophies. I mean, there's coaches that start way early. I mean, I'm, I'm helping cover Fresno State for Rivals now, and they started, you know, in February. And they're already over. Spring practice is over for them. And they're going to hit the recruiting trail now kind of saving the recruiting stuff and during the May evaluation and all that stuff starting in April, they can get on that a little bit early while other guys are coming off spring ball. And then other coaches are, are waiting till later to start spring football. So I think there's a lot of different philosophies, but it seems to be working out for USC trying to get a break uh, for some of those guys that were injured during the first two weeks of spring football. Yeah, there's two different ways of doing it. If you go early, you come right back, and you do early right after recruiting, then what happens if you get somebody hurt, that person has a longer period of time if he has to have surgery to get rehabbed and get back up to strength, and you have a longer period of time of conditioning as far as strength and building their strength during that period of time between the seasons and spring practice. If you go later, you've got more time to work in the weight room, get yourself bigger and stronger, and get out there and have a good spring practice. But if someone gets hurt, you don't have as much time to get them well again. Plus, if you do go later, the kids can retain more as far as going into their summer workouts and fall camp. So there's two different ways of looking at it. You either go early 
get after it and then give them a long time to get into rehab if they need rehab and get stronger and quicker and work at things they weren't too good at. Or you go later and you use the conditioning portion and then uh, they can retain more of the mental uh, parts of the game as far as their summer workouts in the fall camp. So there's there's pluses both ways, Ryan. Yeah, and I, I think recruiting is a big part of it. And I think, you know, Lane Kiffin has recruiting on the back of his mind all the time. You don't recruit that many high-level guys without having your eye on recruiting pretty much 365 days a year. So I, I think there's a disadvantage from starting too early, and I've seen this with, with the Fresno State side where there's some local kids that they haven't really contacted much yet because – right out of recruiting for the class of 2013, they're into getting ready for spring football. And you have some new coaches trying to integrate them and all of that. So I think that they didn't really get to start recruiting yet. Now, they'll focus more time on it after spring ball, but you might be behind a little bit. And I think Lane Kiffin's trying to make sure that he's in on enough guys, especially they're you know, putting in offers in a lot of out-of-state guys you got to check out, um, trying to get the recruiting side done a little bit before spring football. And then even during spring football, when you have a break, you could bring some guys in and you can go out on the road and recruit a little bit or, or check things out, you know, you know, do whatever you need to do, your due diligence as a recruiter during spring football practice. And then afterwards, of course, when the May evaluation period starts, be able to hit the road and, and do all the evaluations you need to. But it seems to, to, be, to me like Lane Kiffin has – Recruiting on his mind a lot to help uh, kind of integrating with spring football, trying to do the best and get the best of both worlds. And I think that's great. You always have to recruit. You have to recruit every day. Uh, and, uh, you know, one thing I have noticed in the recruiting of now this current staff, and as it has been in the past, there's probably more out-of-state recruiting than ever before. I, I can't remember SC recruiting so many out-of-state players as they have done before. Now, this is either one of two reasons. First of all, there's not a lot of local great talent yeah, that, that they consider great talent in Southern California or in California because they're, they're out everywhere throughout the country. And also, you can't forget your local schools. You've got to visit those local high schools. You just can't go to them when they have great players. Because other coaches are going to those schools. Maybe the Washington, Washington States, Arizona, Arizona States, they're recruiting those players. They're going into those high schools and creating a relationship with those players. You've heard me say before when I used to recruit Southern California when I was at UNLV, and basically that's where most of our players came from. I used to say we're a cup of coffee, coffee away from your home. Uh, I would go by schools that didn't even have a player. I would go in and say hello to the principal, the counselor who did all the academic work, and the athletic director or whoever I could see and the head football coach. I'd thank him. I'd say, we'll see you next year. Good luck on the off season. Hope you have a great year and leave. I'd hit five, six, seven, eight schools a day just going to one or two schools possibly I had to be at because you can't leave where you have this fence built around Southern California. UCLA and these other schools are – starting to claim Southern California is their area. I mean, they say they are. Whether they are or not, that's two different things. Uh, but you can't forget your local territory when you go out national recruiting. And right now, SC is spending a lot of time on national recruiting, and they have a lot of coaches on their staff that do not have local contacts in Southern California, and they can't lose that edge that they have here to go out and recruit nationally. 
I agree with you, Coach. We're going to talk with Gerard Martinez in the next segment probably about that a little bit. I think we have some questions on that as well. So certainly uh, you got to find some kind of balance there, and uh, we'll see with what Lane Kiffin does here with the class of 2014. But let's get back to uh, spring football, and we, I wanted to get this question to you. This is actually it was a question specifically for Dan, but I think you can answer it as well, anyone, about the uh, USC secondary. Here you go. Yeah, I have a question for uh, Dan Weber. I was just wanted to know how he thinks uh, the secondary is playing out, kind of who's going to be playing free safety and who's playing strong safety, and then also um, who our top corners are, maybe like our top three or four, who's looking the strongest. And that's it. Thanks. Bye. Well, thank you very much for your question. I'll try to answer the question that you had for Dan. Uh, if I look at the SC team here in the spring, I would say the biggest question mark for the Trojans, two positions, okay? The secondary as far as a group and the quarterback as far as an individual. And then who may be the running back? Because I'm not big on this community or committee type of running back situation, as you know. I'm big on a guy saying it's mine. I own it at tailback or running back. Don't try to take it away from me because I'm not going to let you have it. I just believe in that. I believe a guy gets a feel at getting the ball every time or being in the game every time. Run or pass, there's no tendencies on who's in the game. So I'm big at that. The quarterback situation, they have yet to determine who the man is. So that is something that's up with a big question mark. That's not good, but you've got to find out who your guy's going to be, and I think name him as soon as possible. I've said that, and I'll say it again. You've got to have your guys know who the guy is. In the secondary is where the biggest questions are with Roby leaving and McDonald leaving and, and others graduating. You've got a rookie group really back there. You've got Bailey supposedly, and I'm not saying he's going back there, but all the talk is he's going back to strong safety. Uh, then you have some experience there. So, yes, he has some experience there, but all his experience has been at the linebacker position. So all of a sudden you have to forget what you used to do is all the time play linebacker. You've got to come back now and be a safety. And you've got Demetrius right back there. You've got Suva Craven back there as a safety. You've got, and I've been impressed by Craven back there as far as an athlete in center field. You've got to have a center fielder. Especially when you're playing man, you've got to have somebody there that can go out and help and go to center field and make those plays. And uh, you got to have it. you just got to have it because your corners have too much stress on them. As far as the corners right now, when I look at the corners, Seymour was hurt last week, so I didn't have a chance to see him. You've got Brown playing another corner. Uh, you've got uh, Torn Harris, who has to still prove it to me. Uh, you've got uh, – help me out, Ryan. For uh, – Cor- for cornerbacks and stuff, so yeah, you, corners. So you, so you talk. So Torin Harris is certainly back there as well. Um, yeah, but who's who's the other guys? And I'll talk about them all. Okay, oh, so I you want to go three or four of them, but I can't remember them all. But let okay, here I'll go through. I'll go through each like the the corners they're on. So Anthony Brown, you mentioned uh, Ryan Dillard's a walk on. Um, he's been out there participating. Anderson, Ryan Anderson. Yeah, yeah uh, Ryan Dillard. Oh, Ryan Dillard, Henderson's another me. one. Yeah, uh, Chris Hawkins is the incoming freshman coming in. Right. Uh, you know. Um, and Devion Shelton, uh, the cornerback from Inglewood High right, School, is right, another right, guy. Out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, when you look at this group, and I didn't want to miss anybody because I, I don't think it's right, and I don't have any depth chart in front of me here. 
uh, it's probably the biggest question mark on the football team because you got to play really as a unit, and you've got to have corners to play man, and, and Pettigrass wants to play man. And if you're going to play games up front, you got to have great cover corners, and I haven't seen great cover corners at FC for a long time. Of course, they've been playing loose zone and all this stuff. But you got to have guys that come up and jam you and run with you, and they're in your hip pocket everywhere you go, everywhere you go. And you got to work on it every single day, and and you've got to be able to come off of stock blocking because what happens, they drive you off and they run the football and you're covering your guy and the guy breaks the line of scrimmage and you don't even know he's coming. So you've got to get off the block and make a tackle. You've got to be a great tackler because there's nobody else there. So it's, it, it's a very tough position to play. And the second day, I would say, is the biggest question mark at, at USC right now. I haven't seen a unit play consistently. I haven't seen great corner play. Hawkins is still a young player learning how to go against great receivers, and there's some great receivers at USC now. They don't have a problem there. So right now, I don't know who it's going to be. I think Bailey's got to get back there. Now, not playing in the spring, sure, that's helping his shoulder getting better, but it's not teaching him the safety position, which he really needed to learn if he's going to play back there. But if he hasn't played back there in two years, three years, Time to get back to and find out what it's all about and become a unit, just like the offensive line has got to become a, a unit and play together and talk together. And you know, One guy makes a mistake in the offensive line, the play doesn't work. Same thing in the secondary. One guy breaks down, they got a touchdown. Yeah. So I really think that the secondary, I can't tell you who's going to be it, but I, I don't want to – I'm not sliding kids. But I haven't seen the true corner man defensive backs. I haven't seen it out there. And I've said it before. If you have receivers over there that have had secondary experience and have played corner, I'd rather see my best 22 athletes on the field than being a backup at another position. So I don't know. But uh, I know if I was a player as a receiver and I knew I could play on defense and get some time rather than buy a ticket on offense, I'd get over there and, and take a turn at it or volunteer for that. So that's just my thoughts on that. I cannot give you an answer, and I didn't try to dodge the bullet here. <laughs> I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer, and I think it's a big question mark, and I'm worried about it. All right. Um, well, I think it's a pretty good segue into a question we had a couple of people ask about What's going on with George Farmer? Speaking of receivers that you haven't seen much of, so maybe that this, those two questions can tie in together. But what are your thoughts on George Farmer so far? Well, I still believe George Farmer is a great athlete. He, he's just a great athlete. When he does catch a ball out there and runs around, you say, "Wow, look at number eight. Or you say, "Who is number eight? Because he's not out there all the time, and and he's hurt occasionally, or he's been hurt a lot. And when he does come out and he does perform, he's flashy. He's good. He's got talent. There's no question about it. But he's got to have consistency. He's got to be able to play every single play, every single day, every day be competitive. No limping, no dropping passes. He's got to play up to his potential. It's time, George. And if I was his coach, I'd say, George, it's time. If I was his dad, I'd say, George, it's time. So it's time for George Farmer to find out 
what it is to play Division One college football and compete against great athletes. I mean, he's got Aguilar. He's got these other kids, Darius Rogers, who's better than what a lot of people thought as far as an incoming freshman. And, of course, we don't have to talk about Marquise Lee because he already knows him because he played with him in high school. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I think George is a great athlete. I'd like to see him play. Uh, I don't know. He doesn't have the frame to be a corner. He's, I don't think he does. He's more of a strider, and I, you can't be a strider. You've got to be able to backpedal and stay low to play a corner and watch the buckle of the receiver. But but he needs to find a home. He needs to get on the field. He needs to be able to perform because right now that's great talent being wasted. Where he's going to play, I don't know. But he's a kid that, he's a kid that was the top receiver in the country when he's recruited at USC. And Woods is outshining, so, so, so is Lee. But I'm not saying he doesn't have great talent. He does. It's a big question mark. Yeah, I mean, obviously a former five-star guy, people have questions about what he's going to be doing all the time. The, the running back experiment didn't really work out. I think he wants to play receiver. I think that's where we'll see him this year. So we'll see how if he can stay healthy and how well he performs. It's going to be an interesting uh, year there after Marquise Lee Nelson Aguilar looks good. Like you mentioned, Darius Rogers. There's some really talented guys. Let's see where George Farmer fits in that mix. That'll be interesting. It's going to be. And, uh, you know, there's a couple of areas that need to be uh, really addressed, one being the secondary, one being the offensive line getting tougher, one being find out who the quarterback's going to be and let him distinguish uh, as far as being the leader. That's a big one. Giving him a lot of reps. The running back. Who's going to be the running back? Linebackers, I think, will develop. Defensive line will develop. I think that'll be one of the strong points. But the secondary, you know, you can play great football on two downs and then have a, a big play on in the secondary. And, and, you know, when you play man, they don't nickel-dime you all the time. You get the home run. You've yeah. seen it out there in the, in the scrimmages, right? Kid falls down, what happens? It's wide open. Yeah. There's nobody else there. So you can't have that in the secondary when you're playing man. All right. Uh, let's move on to Patrick in New Jersey. He says, is the current USC squad's greatest chance for success playing the quote-unquote pro-style offense, or should they adapt to a more spread option offense? Thanks, and I love the podcast. Fight on. And again, that's Patrick in New Jersey. Well, I tell you, I know it's cold back in New Jersey today. Uh, I'm in shorts with a T-shirt. <laughs> Rub it in, coach. <laughs> huh? Rub it in. I don't know. I know. How about Atlantic City? I saw. I think the airports are all snowed in. They got ten inches of snow last night. God bless you guys back there. Um, I wish we had that snow for the water out there in California. We need a lot of water. But uh, I think no. SC doesn't have the personnel to run a spread. They, they just don't. I mean, their quarterbacks are not the type of quarterback that. You, that you need uh, to to run the spread, like the Oregon's and the Arizona's and Arizona State's, and these these programs uh, go out and recruit. They're great athletes playing quarterbacks. Before you used to have great athletes playing quarterback, but they couldn't throw and do all the other things. Now you've got great athletes playing quarterback that can run as fast as anybody on your team to throw the football as good as anybody else, Matt Barkley or anybody else included. You know, it just speaks for itself. If you go to the NFL last year and see what these rookies did, 
Those are athletes playing quarterback that control the football. SC's not ready for that. Now, if they are ready for that, there's a quarterback at Bishop Gorman High School, Randall Cunningham the two. That's what they call it, not junior. Randall Cunningham the second. That is going to be a super, super quarterback. Great athlete. He's got the highest high jump record in the country. His uh, goal this year is going to be seven six. He went seven two last year, and uh, he runs this the spread. Okay. Uh, Solomon, who played uh, the quarterback there last year at Bishop Gorman High School, is going to Arizona and talking about him being the starter next year for Rich Rodriguez. Wow. Uh, Randall is somebody that's not uh, being recruited currently right now by football. You see him on the charts. You see him everywhere, but he's been offered to LSU and everywhere else. Uh, I would hope or think he might be a Trojan because of Sam Cunningham going there. Randall didn't really go there. Luckily, he went to UNLV, where I was. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, they have to look and recruit to that type of formation. You just saw all of a sudden put that in. Uh, they got to have the personnel to, to to run it. Right now, their quarterbacks are more pro style. That's why they've been getting the best pro style quarterbacks in the country when they recruit because that type of athlete right now, there's not that many choices of schools you go to. Because a lot of schools right now are all going to the athletic quarterback. Now Stanford still takes takes the, or uh, has a, a pro style quarterback, but uh, to Andrew Luck could run. Yeah. And uh, and uh, some of these other kids can run and be pro style quarterbacks. So you got to have an athlete playing quarterback if you're going to run the pro style offense. All right. Uh, thanks for that one, Patrick. We have a couple more that kind of off. Not off topic, but I guess there's out of the you know they're not really specific USC ones. Uh, well, I guess one of them is, but I'll, I'll give you these, these the first of the two, and we'll finish up with you, Coach uh, Melvin. Wants to know with all the recent news of you, of the NCAA being negligent, using improper investigation procedures, and other stuff like that, is there any chance that USC will make a move to reduce the severity of the punishment against them? If not, why do they merely sit on the sidelines while UCLA? Penn State and Miami are all fighting back against the NCAA? Well, uh, that's a good question. It, it really is. Uh, you know, I don't want to disagree with USC's philosophy because obviously they have, but I am, <laughs> they, have, they have a lot more knowledge of it than I do as far as the case itself. Uh, I think, uh, and everyone in the country has felt USC was given a penalty that was ridiculous okay for what happened at usc i mean if you read that article uh, in times and i don't know how true that times article is uh, this past week about ucla and one of its basketball players uh, i mean i don't know you say wow goodness gracious and uh i don't want to mention names was this if you hadn't read the article you didn't read it but if you did you know what i'm talking about and all these other cases around the country uh, my philosophy is, is if you don't fight for your country, your country kind of looks at you and says, what's wrong with you? Or you're a coward. Or we're going to honorably discharge you. Or we're going to court-martial you. My feeling is, is if you feel you're right on something, politics and all that, go out of, the, go out of it all. 
I'm old school, okay, and excuse me, uh, I like to step for the players, the school, the university, the alumni, whatever. Now, that's probably why I'm not coaching, because today I wouldn't fit in, they'd fire my butt, okay? <laughs> but I think we'd go down swinging, and I think the kids and the parents and everybody who feel their kids were penalized for something they knew nothing about or had anything to do with it would stick up for me and I'd find a job somewhere, okay? Well, I've, I've always felt that. You've heard me talk about the practices and not being able to go to practice. And, and uh, by the way, Linda, when you sent that in last week, read that carefully about the NCAA sanctions on practice. I think it said suggested, suggested that they don't go to practice. I think it said that, yes, on, on sidelines or flying, no, but suggested that parents aren't at practice. So, or not parents, fans, or whatever. Now, I'm not double-checking. I just tried to think back when she was, you were reading that or she was reading. Yeah. What, you know how you start to think about things, you know? And I started to think about that. I thought I heard the word suggested. Well, suggested to me means I'll do what's best for our program. So me, I, I'm a guy that that when my players are injured, I'm gonna give them the Purple Heart or the Medal of Honor because once they sign that letter of intent, they're a Trojan for life. And I think you gotta fight for those type of things. You know, I'm not saying you gotta sue the world or whoever, but I say if you pick on the United States of America, and I look at SC and the athletic world is the United States of America. Now, all these schools look at it the same way, and I'm using some strange types of comparisons. But I say when you mess with us, you mess with the us, I'm going to hit you so many times with the left, you're going to beg for the right. And, and this is, I agree. I think they've taken a little bit too lightly and a little bit too trying to play a little bit too much politics. Unless there's things out there I don't know, and maybe no one can talk about. But I think it's terrible what's happening to USC football under the current sanctions they've had and what they've done to, to the crowd and the support and the people and the team and the players that are playing now that didn't have anything to do with it. I think it's ridiculous. I think a lot of fans agree with you, Coach, and uh, I, I can't disagree either. Um, well, one last one before we let you go. I know we're going a little bit long here, but uh, Marcel wanted to know, he said, with no SEC schools traveling over 500 miles, do you think it hurts USC to travel as far as they do over the course of a season? Well, travel is tiring. And uh, people, unless you've been on a charter and you think it's great and it's fun, it isn't. And you fly and you and you, you, you travel, you land and you pack, and you sleep in a hotel and you you get time zone changes and so it's tiring. You fly back in the airport at two or three in the morning. You have to go home. You got to get from the airport to your school to get in your car, walk to your dorm. And coaches sometimes say, "Screw it, I'll just sleep in the office because we got to be in here early." It wears on you especially when you have back-to-back games. Wow, you're only home three or four days, and wow, away you go again. It really wears on you. And I think it is uh, more resting. 
when you play most of your preseason games at home, and that's what the Southeastern Conference does, because they offer a lot of money to the schools to come in and play. People aren't complaining in the South about who's on their schedule. They don't complain that they're playing Liberty or somebody I never heard of before. I don't even know what state that school's in. Nothing against that state school, okay? <laughs> or Stormy Stormy Brook, or or some of these schools. I mean, I don't believe the SC football fan would stand for it. Now that's the difference. I'm I'm just telling you that. I don't think I think that if if that type of schedule was on the USC schedule pad, people would go nuts. Unless you already always have Notre Dame and. And, and so I think people would go nuts. They got to have a, a football schedule. Like FC has always said, you bring your lunch pail, we'll bring our lunch pail. We'll meet on the 50 yard line and we'll see what happens. And I think that's, that's USC's philosophy. They don't run and hide. Now, the reason the schedule, I think, is a little soft this coming year is the schedule was scheduled when FC couldn't get a game. And I know FC tried to schedule Tennessee and Florida State and a lot of these people. I think they got Texas down the line somewhere. But no, we play them. Would you play them when they were a few years ago? All you do is bring your bags and take your wounded home in. <laughs> I, I'm just telling you. Uh, at halftime, you go across and tell Pete Carroll, Pete, do you mind if we just play running time the second half? Uh so it's tough to get a game when you know you're going to get your butt kicked because they ruin you for the whole season. Now, Utah State is a team you can't take lightly. If you remember last year, was it last year they went to LSU and darn near beat them there? Yeah. And they had a great year last year. The coaching changed. Darren Gary Anderson's now at Wisconsin. But today there's talent. You see it in March Madness. You see it everywhere. If you don't come to play. You'll lose, like, yeah. That's right. You gotta, you, you gotta, you'll lose. And right now, FC's got that method. They don't intimidate anyone anymore. And I hate to say that to all you Trojans that are ready to kick my butt, okay? <laughs> but, you know, before when you came into the Coliseum, you said, are we going to get out of here live? Are they going to give us thumbs down? Or thumbs? Can we get a couple of thumbs up before it's a thumbs down? And I think most of you remember those days. So right now, when they come into the Coliseum, they feel as though this is a great opportunity to get even. So the way you get even is when they come into the Coliseum, you start kicking their butt again. And I think this is what the Trojans are looking for, and this could be a year if they come to play with the schedule the way it is. It could be a better year than what people might anticipate it being. But you can't take anything for granted, and we had talked about earlier some of the Areas of concern that have to be addressed. So uh, that's the way I feel on that. Uh, you know, the Southeastern Conference. You know, they're great football teams. Let's don't let's don't try to slight them. They they're great football teams. But when SC was at its best, Auburn was at its best. Virginia Tech was at its best. They played with them and beat them, and their turf and in the Coliseum. Oregon can play with any of them. Can the whole conference play with them? I'm not sure. They're darn good, and they proved that by the national championships they've won over the last several years. And I saw it. I was there this year in the Orange Bowl. I saw it in person 
the Notre Dame-Alabama game, okay? At halftime, the people I was with wanted to leave, and I said, no way. I want to see this. And it, it was just, uh, it's, uh, it's great to see that type of football. That's why I wanted to stay. I wanted to see the type of football that all SC people and everybody loved to watch. Smash mouth, tough, dedicated, organized people in unison and buying every program. When I went to the game, you couldn't even buy a game program. They were already all sold out. Wow. People were buying them 10 at a time to take home as souvenir items. Can you <laughs> believe that? Not one program. When you go into the stores to buy T-shirts and sweatshirts, people were buying them 12 at a time, 15 at a time. And you know what they were doing during the game? They were stocking the stores for whoever won the game. Already they had the stuff made, so you walk through there and pick up that we're the national champions. Can you believe that? That's pretty smart. <laughs> it, isn't that awesome to be able to have that type of confidence in your program? I tell you, that, that's what I'm talking about, guys. And, and, you know, SC is one of those schools, as Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Michigan, Oregon now has worked its way into that type of traditional program. And there's others, Auburn, you know, we go through those. Texas, Texas A&M now has all of a sudden surfaced as a team that everyone's watching and excited to watch play on TV. I think that's great. Hey, you know what I heard, Ryan? Now, tell me if I'm right or wrong on this. Okay. I heard SC's going back to the black shoes. Is that going to happen with White Sox? You know, they're, they're not making any kind of official announcement, but I think it's going to happen. I think there's some changes. Dan Weber was actually talking with some of the staff members about it. They haven't told them specifically, but I do think that they're going to – I think you're going to go back and not see those kind of clown shoes anymore. Now, that's right. It's exactly what I call them. They, they, let's go back and become the Trojans. I'm not even, a, I didn't even go to USC, okay? But I got the pride that, hey, this is our uniform. You know, this is what we wear at USC. This is what we've worn the last hundred years at USC. John McKay's team, John Robinson's teams, Pete Carroll's teams. Not our dial socks. You know? Let's be a Trojan. And I think that's what I'd love to see that happen. I'd just love to see everything go back the way it was. I think a lot of USC fans would agree with you, Coach. Um, all right. Well, hey, I know we went along again, but I do appreciate you joining us from beautiful Catalina Island. And uh, thanks again. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, buddy. And to all of our uh, listeners out there, thank you very much for listening. Have a happy Easter to all of you out there. Uh, buckle up and be safe. All right. Everyone else, we're trying to track down Gerard Martinez, so we'll get to him in 30 seconds. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. 
We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. I know we planned on having Gerard Martinez come on the show and talk about USC football recruiting, but we're actually going to have a separate uh, Trojan Blast podcast talking just about recruiting. I know we've been trying to do that the last couple of weeks. It hasn't happened, uh, but we'll for sure do it this week. We'll try to do it earlier in the week, so we'll get Gerard on and we'll answer your USC recruiting questions. So um, we gave Dan the day off. So what I did, I just posted on Twitter real quick. Hey, you got any uh, quick spring football questions for USC? So I'm going to try to rapid fire my way through some of these ones. and I'll, I'll read off the questions and get through those and we'll finish up the the podcast like that. Um, it's from Jacob Ryan. He says, do you think Kiffin's going to call plays this season? Uh, I still don't know. He's, he still hasn't made any kind of decision yet. Well, he hasn't made a public decision yet. I'm kind of leaning towards that he's not going to be the guy. I'm kind of leaning towards the fact that they'll have Clay Helton do it. He has made a, a, some other significant changes, and I do think that's going to happen. I, I still think he'll have veto power. I still think his fingers will be a part of it. But I'm not expecting him to see that big Denny's menu on the sidelines, uh, at least to start the season. You know, if something doesn't go right, he wants to go back and, and do what he feels comfortable doing. I think he feels comfortable calling the plays, but I do think there's some pressure around him to not do that. So I, my guess uh, right now is, and again, it's not uh, set in stone, but I think he's going to start off at least not being or planning on being the play caller, but we should know a lot more of that in fall camp. Uh, the Jameson wants to know, are there any significant differences in Kiffin from last spring to this spring in terms of his approach? And I do think there is. I mean, I think, you know, they were trying not to, and we talked about this, I believe, last week on the podcast with, with Dan Weber. I mean, they, they were trying to limit injuries uh, by not being as physical, and I think that's the biggest turnaround. If you look from last year to this year, I don't think they're as worried about it. Now, there's been some injuries. I don't think you could necessarily attribute them, or any of them or all of them, to being more physical on the, the field of play, but I, I do think you're seeing, especially on the offensive defensive line, guys getting a little bit more physical out there. I, I think that's the biggest difference. And I think it's going to make a difference. I, I think you have to teach these guys to play football and to be tough. And I, I don't think that was the approach. I think the approach was more to try to make sure these guys weren't going to get hurt, try to teach them football in a meeting room. And I, I just don't think it works all that well that way. It was, you know, Kiffin's had some different approaches for different problems that these sanctions have posed. Some have worked, some have not. I think that's one of the, the less successful ones, so I think they're trying a different approach uh, this year. Uh, Lewis Taylor wants to know, any word on who's going to take graduate assistant positions on defense? And we don't, we haven't heard any, sometimes people throw out big names. We haven't heard any really big name guys that are, are going to be coming in. Uh, Ross Cumming is still there. He's helping out on defense. You can have four graduate assistants now. Um and, you know, I do think you're going to see some help uh, for Clancy Pendergast in the in the secondary. I think he's certainly going to need some help there. And I'm not ruling out uh, another position coach switches or, or leaves or is let go or moves on or something like that, too, where you can kind of redistribute the balance of coaches. Because right now you only have three full-time defensive coaches and really seven on the offense. So would, would they remove one on offense? And add one on defense. I still think that that could possibly happen uh, before fall camp. So stay tuned for that. But no, no, like major 
names out there that we've heard that are going to be, you know, up for graduate assistance. I think you're going to find some young up and coming guys. Uh, you know, we'll see from that. Uh, let's see. Jared still he said, Ryan, I'd love to hear you, Dan, coach's best guess on who the starting offensive line will be come Hawaii. Thanks for finding out. Well, Dan and coach uh, are not there, um, are not here right now. But I, I do think the the kind of line that we've been seeing um, as far as the depth chart goes so far in spring is, is probably going to uh, end up that way. I mean, I, there's there's some options there. And I think with a full set of 15 practices for, for uh, Mike Summers, that, that, you know, you might get some changes and, and things like that. But, I mean, I think Graf is going to start at right tackle for sure. Um, you know, I we were thinking that Marcus Martin was going to end up at center. And, uh, you know, they started off spring ball with Mac, uh, Max Turk at center. Um, is he going to end up playing left tackle? I'm, I'm not sure. I, I'm kind of leaning now towards maybe they do go with Marcus Martin at center. And you have, you know, Martinez and Andre Walker at the guards and Turk and Graf. Uh, at the two tackle positions. I, I kind of, that's going to be my guess right now, but I think that there's still a lot of uh, wiggle room there. And I think there's going to, you know, it's still a lot to be determined uh, with the rest of spring ball, three more weeks of spring football. And then Mike Summers can kind of evaluate that. And I do think he's going to put his stamp on this. They want to find their five best guys. And I think the five guys I mentioned are the five best guys. Um, so they're going to figure out a way to get those guys on the field. The way they are. Let's see. Let's move on. Um, so that was Jared. Uh, we have Joseph at this point. Uh, Joseph Cooley at this point. Who do you see being the first string quarterback by fall camp? That's another interesting question. Um, I mean, I think there's obviously that, you know, you can know what the options are. Uh, if I had to bet on it, I'm going to still bet it's Max Wittick because there's just been a history of when someone gets picked, that's who you go with. And it for, from USC, from Pete Carroll, Lake Kiffin, whoever it is, whoever the starting quarterback is, to me, they always seem to be the guy that they're going to roll with. It doesn't matter if you break a finger, get hurt, whatever. Like, they just seem to be they're going to stick with these guys. Whoever they chose, that's who they're going to choose. Now, I do think Cody Kessler has played well enough to get in there. I, I don't think we've seen enough of Max Brown yet to see if he's going to, you know, could be the number one guy. But if I had to guess, you know, right now, I think Cody Kessler probably deserves that that starting spot um, just from what he's done. And, we, you know, we've seen a couple games from Wittick. I think, you know, you, you should get a chance to see Cody uh, do what he can do. But if I had to bet right now, my bet would be on Max Wittick will start the opening game. Uh, Joe Wilson wants to know, who has the inside track to start opposite Lee? Aguilar or Farmer. Uh, I think Farmer has all the talent in the world, and, and Coach Harvey Hyde mentioned that earlier in the show. But I do think it's going to be Nelson Aguilar. He's looked really, really good. So if you have a chance, come out Tuesday or Thursday this week of practice, and uh, you can watch for yourself. Uh, see number 15 go out there. Just a special player. And, uh, you know, he was a, a five-star guy for a reason. And I think you're going to see him be the number two guy. There's a lot of talented guys. You know, behind them, and I think you might see a, a bunch of different guys play. I want to see Devon Flournoy play. I want to see Darius Rogers play. I certainly want to see George Farmer play. But if I had to pick a number two right now, I'm going with Nelson Aguilar. Um, this one's from Will, uh, at Will underscore gut. I guess I should be reading their Twitter handles here instead of names. But at Will underscore, underscore gut says, because Deion Bailey is out for the spring, we can't see him at 
safety. What will he look like at that spot? Bigger, ball hawk? Um, I think you're going to see a lot of the similar, what made him a good linebacker. I think you're going to see that at safety. He came in as a safety. He really moved down to linebacker. And, and Coach Harvey Hyde mentioned it earlier in the show. He's got to learn to play that safety spot. And it's going to be a little bit different, I think. Um, and Clancy Pendergast, uh, you know, his um, system. But I think he's doing what's going to be best for him, where he's going to play at the next level. And, you know, you don't have a 205 or 210-pound linebacker, especially in this system, is not really going to work all that well. So um, I think he's going to be fine in there. I do like the way he moves to the ball. I think he can be very physical. I think you saw him at the point of attack. Uh, he can do a lot of those things. And, um, and still, you know, be good in coverage, uh, and things like that. So I, I don't think I think it's a win-win for USC there getting Deion Bailey back there. It's going to add some depth to that secondary that Coach Harvey Hyde talked about being one of the biggest question marks. I do think the secondary has a lot of of bodies, a lot of talented bodies. There's some numbers there. It's not like super thin as far as numbers. It's thin as far as proven numbers go. So we don't know and what to expect from a lot of these guys. And like Coach Harvey Hyde mentioned, the at the uh, cornerback spots, you're going to play a lot of man. You can get exposed. So um, he's not going to play corner. He's not going to help out there, but he will play safety, and I think be a, a significant help there. Um, this is from at Mr. Warhop. He says, how's the tempo of the offense? Can this offense run 75 to 80 plays a game? Thanks. That's a, I think that's a really good question. It's harder to tell that, I think, in practice. Um, cause I think we saw them run more up-tempo stuff in practice, but with a game plan was something different. I mean, they really did game plan to slow the game down, to take the air out of the ball. And so I, I don't know if we're going to be able to tell as much, at least from spring football, maybe we can tell a little bit much from a little bit more about that during fall camp. Um, but yeah, I, I I want to see them. I think they're going to be a better team. They, they have, if you have more talent than the other team, it's it's an advantage to run more plays. And I think if you're running less plays because you're worried about getting hurt, you're taking away an advantage that you have. Like, uh, I don't know if I've used this poker analogy before, but if you're you know there's a lot of luck involved in poker. There's luck in football too. Um, you know, what the what cards you're dealt, I think, determine a lot. But if you're a really good poker player, the reason someone can be a professional poker player is because there's skill involved as well. If it was all luck, you couldn't be a professional at it and at least succeed. So if you're a professional poker player sitting around, sitting against an amateur, and you play 10 hands of poker, the advantage for the professional isn't all that good, as, as opposed to if you played 100 hands or 500 hands, over time, the amateur could get a run of luck, could get some good cards, especially over 10 hands or just a few hands. But over time, if you're going to play 100 hands or 500 hands, the, the, the amount of good cards are going to be evenly, more evenly distributed. So the better player is going to come out on top. So I think in this case, too, you want to, if you have a talent advantage, you want to run as many plays as possible. You want to get as many plays out there as possible. And I think that's something that USC did not do last year. So I want to see the tempo upbeat, but I don't think you can tell right now this is from t-dub 17181 will this be the year we see farmer live up to any of the potential we saw when he enrolled and i you know i think we talked about this a little bit more uh i don't think you're going to see him at running back i think you're going to see him play wide receiver i think he's going to get some chances does he stay healthy how many reps does he get i think all that's to be determined but i think he's going to get his shot this year 
Um, so we'll leave it at that. We already talked about uh, George Farmer a little bit more. At George underscore Retta, any chance Max Brown starts this year? I thought there was um, before going in. I, th- I still think there is. I'm not going to say there isn't. But it's going to be tougher. And, I, you know, I think this offseason is going to be really important to him after spring ball ends, going through all the summer workouts and getting more familiar with his receivers. Um, and then fall camp, you know, it's significantly important. But it, it invaluable, the amount of experience he's going to get here in spring football, especially only with two quarterbacks working this past week. Um, you know, with him and Cody Kessler being the only two guys, Clay Helton's getting a significant look at, you know, what Max, what Max Brown can do. So I think that's important. Um, you know, I, to me, it seems like less likely he has to come in and just tore everything up. Uh, he still can, but so far I think it's, you know, Cody Kessler would be, be ahead of him at this point. Uh, at USC Carlos, uh, will I be able to go to practice and have my son's jersey signed like I did with Ray, Taylor Mays, Cushing, etc.? Um, so there, when you go to practice, you, you can't get on the field now like you could before, Carlos. Um, what happens is you're up on the uh, Dado Pavilion overlooking the practice field. So I think you can still hang out at the uh, end of the John McKay Center tunnel where the, the sword statue is and try to get some of the guys to sign your stuff as they're walking back to the locker room. But it won't be the same kind of thing where you're on the field interacting with them. They're they're limiting that. So you have you can watch, but you're not going to be on the field and in the same space, I guess, as the players and the coaches. But afterwards, when they're walking off the field, I think people are still doing that, going out there trying to get some autographs. So good luck with that if you do that. Um, Bruce Banner has a third receiver been pulling away from the rest of the pack. So he's uh, this. I'm sorry. Yeah, he's got his name is Bruce Banner, but his he's at Mike. Mark G. Joe or something like that. Anyway, but um, Bruce or Mark or whatever it is, or Mike. Um, yeah, you know, I, I it's hard to say on that. I do, like I mentioned before, Nelson Aguilar is the, the number two guy, to clear one to me. Um, you know, I think I, I like Devon Flournoy a lot, and I think he brings a lot to the table. He's a senior. He's got a lot of experience. We just haven't seen him all that much. And um, I do like him to come in and, and make some plays. I, I like his hands. Uh, you know, I, I think he runs good routes. I think he's got really good speed. Uh, maybe he ends up lining up in the slot more. I'm not sure. I mean, I, but I do think you're going to see some changes. Some guys that maybe were in the doghouse before or just weren't getting a, a chance. Um, I think you're going to see a little bit more of that this year. And I, a guy like Buck Allen is a great example that it seemed like for whatever reason, he wasn't going to be able to get on the field and, you know, some new coaches come in and, Heck, maybe he's you know he's gonna get a shot now, and it just seems to be he's a little bit more excited. Flournoy seems to be a little bit more excited to me, so I think these guys are gonna get a shot. Now they might play for a couple games and not do well, and then someone else passes them, or or George Farmer just starts blowing up and he becomes a number three guy, or Darius Rogers, or you know Stephen Mitchell coming in. I like him a whole lot, so I, I think there's a lot of good options there. I don't think there's a real clear number three, but I do think there's a clear. Uh, one and two. Uh, this is at uh, Preston Lyons. He wants to know how's the secondary looking with all the new blood in the ranks. And uh, you know, I think Coach Harvey Hyde mentioned it before. We talked about it in our spring uh, spring break roundtable, and we haven't seen anyone really kind of step up. I like a lot of the guys that they have there. I mean, I I, I like Demetrius Wright a lot. I like Josh Shaw a lot. And when Deion Bailey comes back in there, 
Um, some of the new guys, you know, Sual Cravens looks looks really good. Um, I think you're going to see some good things out of you know Chris Hawkins and uh, you know, Liam McQuay, some of the new guys. But they, no one's really like taking it by storm, I guess you could say right now. So uh, three more weeks of spring ball, we'll keep watching and kind of see if you know any more movement, any more guys move around, who steps up and, and who plays well. Uh, but he's going to have to play well. And, and Coach Harvey Hyde mentions this. You you have to have corners that are – I like the aggressive play. I want to see them play more aggressive in the secondary. But you can't get burned. And, uh, you know, certainly that can happen. Now, you can argue that USC got burned a lot by giving guys, you know, nickel and diming all year and still broke some big plays. I would like to see this defense make more negative plays in the backfield, starting with the front seven. Let the secondary be out an island by themselves. Sometimes they don't have to worry about it, even if they get beat you get to the quarterback or you made a negative play. You don't let them complete the pass that they want to complete. So I think you can erase some of the mistakes in the secondary by good play up from the front seven. Um, and if a, you know, a big play happens, so be it. I'd, I'd rather see a higher percentage of negative plays made in the backfield than try to limit, quote-unquote, the number of big plays you're giving up uh, by some mistakes in the secondary. Um, James E. Braxton. Uh, is Nelson a threat to Lee like Lee was to Woods for the number one spot? Uh, I mean, it's an interesting question. I don't think so. I mean, he's the you know reigning Bolitnikov you know uh, award winner. I think Marquis Lee is Marquis Lee, and even if Nelson Aguilar came in and was doing some amazing things, I, I just don't see him passing Marquis Lee. Um, I mean, I, I think Robert Woods. There were some injuries. You know, obviously injuries and things like that happen, and and maybe Nelson takes over. And stuff like that, but I don't think I, I think the two of them could be a really good combination, just like you saw with uh, Marquise Lee um, and Robert Woods. So uh, I, I think they can be a great tandem, and I, I do think there's a lot of talent behind them, like we talked about before, where they're all going to shake out. Uh, you know, I think it's still too early to say at this point, but there's a significant talent on this team at the skill positions. Um, you know, the secondary, I do agree, maybe the biggest question mark, but there's a lot of talent there. So Shake it up, you know, see who, who rises to the top. Some of those guys are going to have to play well. And uh, I think the system overall is going to be better on defense. Will the system be better on offense? I am not sure. But if they if they run more plays like we talked about earlier and Lane Kiffin can kind of focus more on being a head coach as far as the play caller, I think that will all be significant benefits uh, for this USC football team. All right, well, thanks for sending in all those Twitter questions at the last second. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed uh, this little different segment here on the Peristyle Podcast. I know I have to, it's a little harder to run it solo, but hopefully that worked for everybody. And we will get Gerard Martinez on for sure doing a Trojan Blast recruiting podcast. If you have any more questions for him, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. All right, well, thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast this week. Spring break is over, USC Football players are back in class as of today, and they will be back on the practice field again on Tuesday. So stay tuned for our show next Monday. We'll talk about another week of USC Spring Football. Thanks again, and stay tuned. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. 
Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 